reading through the end of chapter, through verse 29. And the word of the Lord says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. to be back in the house of the Lord this morning, amen, as we begin uh, to get back to somewhat normalcy. I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Um, this is one of those days that it could be bittersweet. Um, you may be here this morning, you come from a great home, and you have great uh, parents and a great mom, and so this is a day of great rejoicing. Um, many of you may come and you do not have that same uh, story. You come from a place of brokenness. And so Mother's Day, Father's Day, those days can be bittersweet for so many of us. But what we can be and what we can rest assured on is this, that God uh, is, uh, has given us moms, um, whether they're uh, healthy moms, unhealthy moms, as a reflection of his goodness and kindness to us. So if you're a mom here this morning, I, I want to say happy Mother's Day. Um, I was thinking this morning, praying this morning about moms, and uh, thought about the passage in Corinthians, the love passage. And I'm grateful for the moms in this uh, room. Uh, so many of you have been a redemptive story for me and uh, my own journey with my mom. My mom, uh, I pray to God she's not watching, but if she is, it's on her. Uh, I did not come from a great home. Uh, and so because of that, I've had an experience of having to uh, really get healing a around what it means to have healthy moms. And so many of you uh, moms in this room have been such a model to me of what it means to be a healthy mom. And so uh, all the moms, but in particular, the older moms in the room, uh, you have been given to me by God as a place to fill that grace in my life of what it means to have healthy healthy moms. And so to you, I say, happy Mother's Day. And I'm grateful uh, for you. I'm grateful for what you mean to, to my family and the redemptive story that you here at Palace Chapel have played into that. So I want to say again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. And to those who have lost their mom in the last year, I, I want to extend my condolences and, and say to you, um, God is still with you and God is still going to bring you comfort. And so I say again, well, let's trust in the Lord in that, and again, happy Mother's Day. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started uh, this morning. God, so often we come, and you are. You say to us in your word, you are Father. But yet, God, 
we know that you made both man and woman in your image. And so in so many ways, you are a father, but you display what it means to be a mom. And I'm grateful, God, for the, the ladies in this church, the moms in this church, that have been such a display to me of your motherly kindness to me and my family. I'm just grateful for that, God. I'm grateful for church, not a building. But I'm grateful for a family that can bring so uh, much redemption to brokenness in my life and the lives of other people. And so just even now this morning, God, looking out and seeing the moms that have had such an impact on my life, how they've played a unique uh, role in these last uh, six years of being here at Powell's Chapel that you knew exactly what I needed uh, in bringing me here to to bring more healing and redemptive to my own story of what it means uh, to have a healthy mom. So I'm grateful for that. And so, God, we now we come and we humble ourselves under your mighty hand to ask that you would do what only you can do, use the Holy Spirit and your word to bring uh, transformation or sanctification or justification to our lives. I pray, God, Uh, that if there's anyone here this morning that is far from you, they do not have a relationship with you, that you would use this passage to draw them to yourself. And God, I pray for those of us who are believers, that you would use this passage to bring more and more sanctification, that you would use this passage to make us more and more like your son Jesus. And so now we humble ourselves under your mighty hand and ask and plead with you uh, that you would do what only you could do, bring transformation. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's church said, Amen. I'm not sure if, I think it's the allergies, but like there's like drainage. I don't have COVID, I promise. It's like now you can't even cough or sneeze anymore. Anyone ever done that? Like like I was at a restaurant the other week and I'm like, I've really got to sneeze and I really need to cough. Like how am I going to make it out of here on time? Uh, am I the only one that that's ever happened to? Like the shame of coughing now. It's like who would have ever thought? Like you can't be at a pulpit and like need to say, hey, I've got a sore throat. And everyone's like, oh, no, you got COVID. I don't. That I know of. I should not have said that. Oh, stick to your notes, Todd. Just stick right to the notes. Uh, anytime I divert from the notes, it's it's bad for me and bad for all of us. All right, let's jump back in. Colossians. This is the book, the letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to this small church in, in Colossae. And what he was writing to them was this. He was writing to them about their young faith and how that they started to get this false doctrine of other teachers that were coming in. To say to them, hey, Paul was talking about Christ and Christ alone is what brings us salvation. That is who brings us salvation. And these false teachers, the Gnostics, began to say to this young church, hey, it's not just Christ and Christ alone. It's Christ plus your works. It's Christ plus your doctrine. It's Christ plus this. It's Christ plus this. And so Paul is in prison. He's in house arrest, in chains. And he gets word back that this church that he helped start was beginning to wander from what they had heard early on. Again, a very young church. And so Paul, from his room, in his prison, he was in house arrest, in prison, pins this letter back to these 
young believers and says to them, and we're going to get into the meat of the letter uh, starting next week. But the first chapter is all about him setting up the supremacy of Christ and him saying to this young church, remember that it's Christ and Christ alone. And, and we looked at this great hymn that he had penned about the supremacy of Christ, that all things are held in order by Christ and Christ alone. And now Paul begins to say this. And I, I believe this for us. It's what Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. What we're going to look at today is Paul's ministry, but Paul's ministry ought to be our ministry. And so we can say this with assurance, what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. And so we're going to use this passage for our lives to imitate what does it look like to be gospel ministers or gospel servants. You see, I think what's happened in the modern church is it's become my responsibility. I'm the only minister now. But Paul didn't see it that way. Paul saw it, and he says it over again throughout his letters. Hey, it's my job to equip you, the saints, to be ministers of the gospel as you go into the world. It was never meant for the church to bring unbelievers here so that I would teach them and draw them to Christ. No, it was the responsibility of the pastor to equip you to go into the world to bring the gospel to lost people. And so, but we've changed that. And Paul is going to say to us, this is what it looks like for all of God's people to be gospel ministers. He's going to give us a formula. He's going to give us an outline what that looks like. And so, if you will, if you have notes, uh, we're going to look at three things. The servant's response. We're going to see that through Paul, but it ought to be our response as well. We're going to see God's plan. And then finally, we'll see the servant's proclamation. So the servant's response, God's plan, the servant's proclamation. And so Paul is now saying, he gets done with this beautiful hymn, and now he says this. Remember what he had just said. He had just called all of us out, called us hostile to the gospel, aliens in this world, evildoers. And now he, and then he gave us the gospel. And he says, basically, we're no longer that because we have the gospel. And now Paul says this. This is his response to the gospel message. You can circle the word now in your Bible. Now comes right out of what he had just said. What he had just said in verse 23. If indeed you continue on in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, he says. After all that I just said about the supremacy of Christ, now look what our response ought to be. Like, this is what's going to happen to us, is what Paul is saying. Look what Paul says. Three things he says. This is one of the most controversial verses in all the Bible. So I'm going to... I'm going to... Talk about that controversy first, and then I'm going to go back and talk about the three things that we say in the text. I was talking to Jonathan this week and was talking to him about, like, there's oftentimes, there's parts in the Bible I'm like, man, I wish I could just skip over. Just, like, pretend like they weren't even there. This would be one of those 
places in the Bible because it's a, it's a true head scratcher. It's where Paul says this. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Okay, I can, I'm on board with that. And now Paul puts a comma and starts talking. He like gets crazy, Paul. Then he says this, and in my flesh, I'm filling up with his, what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now, this is one of those moments I'm like, I wish I could just not talk about this verse and just keep going. But it's in the Bible, so I got to talk about it. What we know this, there's often times when we come to passages in the Bible that don't make sense. This is one of those places. The, the, the theologians for all of, since this passage has been written, have been divided. There's no clear understanding. So I'm going to say first, I do not know what this is saying. I've studied it all week. And I still don't know exactly what they're saying. I'll tell you what I think it's saying. But you now need to go and you study it on your own and you come back. If it's different than what I think, I'd love to sit down with you and you and I talk about it to gain some more understanding. I believe this is what Paul is saying. What we first must do is take passages like this and take it with the backdrop of all of Scripture. So when we come to Scripture that doesn't make sense to us, we take that scripture and we match it up with all the other scriptures in the Bible. So what we can confidently say is this, that there was nothing lacking in Christ's suffering. Paul did not have to add to what Christ had already done. He'd just been talking about for the last chapter. So we can confidently say that. We know with confidence because of God's word, nothing was lacking in Christ's suffering. Paul did not have to add to what was already had already happened. This is what I believe that Paul is saying. I believe this, that Jesus was on this planet for 33 years. He died. And then he ascended to heaven. And then I believe this, the enemy of the church was still in existence. We know that through the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul tells us in Acts 9 that he was a hater of God and he was going out to persecute Christians and he wanted to destroy the church. And so we know that the enemy of the church was still around. We know this for sure. The enemy of the church is still around today. We know that with confidence. So what I believe what Paul was saying was this, that I am taking on the same persecution that Christ was taking on himself, and now I'm taking it on because Christ is no longer there to take it on. We see that. That's you and I. We are suffering the same way that Christ suffered in his body when he was proclaiming the good news so if we're proclaiming the good news know that you and i paul says it throughout his letters we suffer the way christ did not to the fulfillment of what christ did not the reason for what christ did christ suffered so that you and i would get to heaven we get to experience some of the suffering that christ did i believe that's what paul's talking about in this passage now i could be wrong because most theologians are divided in that. That's just what I simply believe. You go study the passage. If you come away thinking that Paul literally had to fulfill what Christ was lacking, I'd love to talk to you to see how you came to that conclusion. I just don't see that in the passage. So now let's go back to the passage of what we're going to cover this morning. What is the, 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 the servant of the gospel? What is our response to the supremacy of Christ? Three things. He or she must rejoice. 
Paul says, now I, what? Rejoice. You see, what Paul is saying is, I find great joy in the supremacy of Christ. I find great joy that Christ is above all things. I find great joy that Christ holds all things together. I find great joy that Christ is supreme over all things. So I'd ask you first, before we get on to the rest of the text, is it true for you now? You rejoice in what Christ has done for you and who Christ is. Oftentimes, I think we rejoice in what Christ has done for us, but we don't rejoice in Christ himself. We rejoice in the benefits, not the one that gave us the benefits. So for you this morning, for me this morning, could we say the way Paul did, now I rejoice who Christ is. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul goes on and says it this way. Our response to the gospel and to be minister of the gospels, we must also what? Rejoice in our suffering. And Paul, of anybody outside of Christ in the New Testament, would have known what it meant to suffer. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is going to hear at the end of this letter to the church of Corinth talk about some of his suffering. This is just some of them. This is not all of them. But this is what he says. He starts in verse 23b. He says, I am talking like a madman with a far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. Paul's now going to talk about his sufferings. He's been beaten, often to the point of death. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Think about that. Five times. Like Jesus did it once. Paul has done it five times. Forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and at day, I was drifting in the sea. So already Paul's saying, I've been beaten that many times. I've been shipwrecked that many times. Oh, and there was a time I was on a piece of plank wood drifting around the ocean for a while. Like, I don't know. Paul isn't having great luck so far. He goes on to say, I was drifting at sea. On frequent journeys, that's plural, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, the very people that God sent me to, I'm in danger to, the Gentiles, it says. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger with false brothers. Basically, Paul's just now saying, everywhere I go, danger follows me. Like, everywhere I go, danger's happening to me. I'm getting beat, I'm getting stoned, I'm getting beat upside the head with a rod, I'm getting drug out to left for dead. He goes on. In toil and hardships, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure. 
And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me and in my anxiety for all the churches who is weak, and I am not weak, who is made false, I, <clears throat> I, am, I am not. So Paul now says, there's other places where Paul is messing around with the fire. That's a bad idea to begin with. Paul's messing around with this fire, and this viper jumps out and bites him. And now the people are like, he's going to die, and God saves him. And like over and over, the suffering of Paul, and what Paul is now writing, he's not writing after all of his sufferings, all of his beating, and is like laid out with a, a daiquiri on the beach, sipping a cold one. Paul is still in prison when he's writing what he's saying. He's saying, now I rejoice in my ongoing suffering. And so our response is you and me. Are we responding with joy to our suffering? Paul is able to say, I'm suffering, but I'm rejoicing. Here's the promise that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10. If we are going to be gospel ministers, we must suffer. I would say this to you this morning. If you are not suffering, I would ask and plead with you, get with God and ask him if you are a gospel minister. Because if you are ministering the gospel, you will suffer. That's a promise from God. All the other promises are true, but there's another promise. He says, if you follow me, they're going to hate you. If you follow me, they're going to beat you the way they beated me. If, they, if you follow me, you will suffer for my sake. We must respond with joy in our suffering. One writer says this about suffering. He says there's five things. I, I didn't um, list the fifth one that he wrote. But these five things he believes are why God allows there to be suffering in our lives and how we can rejoice in our suffering. The five things are, I'll tell you the last one. I just didn't write it. The, the four things I'll share with you are this. Suffering brings us closer to God. Anyone ever suffered in here? Most of us, where do we run to? To God. God uses suffering in our life to draw us into intimacy with him. That's why Paul can say, I rejoice in my suffering. Because when I am weak, I can see my strength in him. So the first one, suffering brings us closer to God. The second one is suffering assures us we belong to God. If you're following God and there's suffering, there's some assurance. Oh, man, I am following the Lord. The third one is this. Suffering reminds us of our hope with God. Over and over, it's like the reminder, this is not my home. There's another place for me that's absent of suffering. It will push us to see our hope and our future with God. The fourth one is this. Suffering can bring others to Christ. When we suffer well, and we have rejoicing in our suffering, people will ask you, how is it that you find joy in your suffering? We were just told this story by a gentleman in the room. I, I didn't ask for permission, so I'll let him remain nameless this morning. But he had been going through cancer, and his doctor said to him, we've never seen anyone go through cancer 
with such a high spirit, with great joy? Well, it's because his confidence is in the Lord. And those people are watching him and are being attracted not to him, but to his love for the Lord. And the, the conversations that can come out of that can really draw people to Christ. The fifth one was this. I didn't write it. He said this, suffering frustrates the devil. Suffering makes the devil mad when believers suffer well, when we can find joy in our suffering. Back to Colossians chapter 1. So if we are to be servants of the gospel, our response is we must rejoice. We will suffer. And the last one is this. We must serve. Serve who? The body. Paul says it in his text. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for what? Your sake. Then he kind of goes crazy, Paul, for a moment, but he gets back to his suffering. He says, for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is the church. He says to us, my response in my joy, in my suffering, is that I would serve the body. And so if we're going to be gospel ministers that proclaim the truth of God, the supremacy of God, we must serve one another first. And I ask this question to us, House Chapel. Do we serve one another the way Paul would have served the church? Do we serve one another the way that Christ served the church? Remember how Christ served the church. He gave his very body for us. And Paul is saying our response to the gospel is what we must serve one another. Now he goes into the plan. This is God's plan. This is how it's all going to take uh, root. This is how it's all going to happen. He says this in verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known the great, great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the ministry, the, the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here is God's plan for gospel ministers. The first one is this. God will use us as his stewards. The word stewardship or the word steward there in the Greek means this. It means to manage a household as a steward of someone else's possession. So God's plan is that God is going to give us his possession, his greatest gift for us to steward, to watch over and to take care of. Like that would not be the plan I would have. Now, I've got a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. Now, just bear with me for a moment. Most of us in this room, when it comes to the things of God, we operate a lot like 6-year-olds, if we're honest. Like, we don't really value it. We don't really treasure it. We don't really take care of it. We kinda, it kind of is either just lays on a, um, on a desk or it's broken to pieces, if we're honest with ourselves. What God's plan was that we, he would take what was most precious to him and give it to us to take care of. So all of us in this room, if you're a believer this morning, 
God's plan was to use you as stewards for the most precious gift that he's ever given away. Well, what's the most precious thing he's ever given away? He says it to us. The most precious thing that God has called us to steward is what? To make known the word of God. So God gave us his most treasured possession. That's the word of God. John says it this way. The word of God was Christ Jesus. So we can say with confidence because of the word, the most treasured thing that God has ever given to us to steward was Jesus, his son. And he entrusted that in you. The moment that you came to Christ, the moment I came to Christ, you became a steward of that gift. And I wonder, what have we done with our stewardship? And how have we done with it? Have we just left it on a shelf to collect dust? Or have we just disregarded it and it's broken to a thousand pieces? No, the stewardship means to take care of it to make sure it grows, to make sure it is nourished, to make sure it goes and accomplishes its goal. And so that's what Christ is in us. It's the word of God, the mystery of God. Now he's going to tell us what the mystery is. So God, throughout all the Old Testament, has held on to this mystery that he talks about over and over and over again, which is Christ. Now he stewarded us with that secret message that's now been revealed to us. What's the mystery of God's plan for us? He says it in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to a saint. The Old Testament is this hidden mystery. And for thousands of years, the people of the Old Testament knew that God had a plan and had this mystery or this secret, it was never revealed to them. And now in God's kindness to us, he's made known the mystery. Well, what's the mystery? He's revealed it to you, to me. To them, God chose to make known this great mystery, the riches of the glory of his ministry or mystery, which is what? What is the mystery? What is it that we are to steward? In the passage, it says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, there is this mystery of the Old Testament. Remember, the mystery of the Old Testament was that people had to come to God. They had to make sacrifices to get to God. They had to go to the temple. They had to prepare all these things. And yet we know from Genesis chapter 3 that God had been saying all along, I want to be reconciled to my people in such a unique and special way. Well, for whatever reason, for the first 4,000 years of that, it was this sacrificial system. And the only way to get with God was it to have a priest go into the most holy of holies. Most people of the Old Testament could not get face to face with God. There was only a handful of people that were able to do that. But God in his goodness and his kindness was paving this way that all of mankind could be in relationship with God. Which is what? 
Christ now is in you. You have now, is what Paul later on says, you are now the what? The temple of God. So this temple that God once dwelled, that people had to come to, Paul is now saying, you are that temple. The mystery is no longer hidden from you. You house Christ. Christ is in you. Now let me go back to the word stewardship. How are you stewarding the temple which Christ now dwells in? What have you let into your temple? What are you keeping out of your temple? Because anything you let in, Christ is going to dwell with it as well. That's why Paul makes this plea about sexual immorality, about prostitution. He's saying to us, just know that the temple of God, when you bring a prostitute in there, you're, you're bringing it into the same place you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And on and on we can go with sin. So Paul is pleading with us in this text to be reminded that the, the mystery has been revealed to you. It's not hidden. Christ is now in you. You dwell. He dwells with you. You are the temple. So I'd ask you, how are you caring for the temple which Christ now dwells in? Christ does not dwell in this building. Christ dwells in, within each one of us, which is what? The hope of glory. as the hope that God's given to us. That is God's plan that's been revealed to us. How are we stewarding what God has graciously given to us? Now he says this. Now if you know that you are stewards and that Christ lives in you, what are we to do with that? It's the, the servant's proclamation in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is what God is saying through the Apostle Paul. Our proclamation must be this. We must proclaim the gospel to people. And in two ways, he says that we must proclaim it. The first is this. We must give warning. Do we, church, are we warning this lost world of what's to come? Are we warning one another when we see one another in sin? Is there this warning, this admonishing of one another? You see, that's what it means to proclaim the gospel. Proclamation of the gospel is not just me talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Me talking about the gospel is giving fair warning to you and you giving fair warning to me. Are we warning one another with the gospel? God's word is very clear how we ought to live. God's word is very clear how we ought to treat one another. God's word is very clear what marriages looks like. God's word is very clear or, or what, or what race looks like. God's word is very clear on things the world has made unclear. And we, the people of God, have just kind of slipped into the world. We don't want to step on anyone's toes. We don't want to tell the truth. But Paul says to us, the first thing in our proclamation of the gospel is that we are to warn everyone, not just the believer. He uses the word everyone. We're to warn everyone what God's word says. 
Are we proclaiming that truth to everyone? The next thing he says is this. When we warn everyone, we must teach everyone. Are we teaching the things of God to one another and to the world? Are we engaging in conversation, teaching each other the things of God and teaching the world the things of God? Well, why would we proclaim the gospel message with warning and teaching? He says it this way. He now turns it back to the believer. And we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that what? We may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. The reason for gospel proclamation is not just simply for salvation. It's also for maturity. That we would grow in our likeness of Christ Jesus. Again, I said it last week. I'll say it this week. If we, if you simply just pray a prayer and your life is no different, I would plead with you. I would plead with you. Have you really come to know Christ? Because God's word says over and over and over again that there has to be maturity that's happening in the believer. And so for you and for me, are we more mature today when we prayed that prayer a year ago, five years ago, 25 years ago, 35 years ago, 50 years ago? I I don't know. Maybe someone in here has been saved 70 years. But I would say this. Are you more mature today than when you prayed the prayer? Because that's what Paul is talking about. The proclamation, the warning of the word, the teaching of the word is to present you more mature in Christ than the day you came to Christ. Are you maturing in your relationship with Christ? He goes on to say it this way. He ends it this way. In our proclamation, it is going to be hard work. And he says it this way at the end. For this I toil. What is this? It's to this that I may present everyone mature in Christ. Like that's Paul's whole goal in his ministry. Wasn't just to build churches. Wasn't just to build converts. Is what, what Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. So Paul's whole goal was to make disciples. And he says in his ending remark here in this passage, this, this is what I toiled and struggled. The word toil and struggle means this, to come to a place of utter exhaustion. Like, are you toiling to present people mature in Christ and it's exhausting to you? I don't say this as a way of bragging. I say this as a way of like um, stupidness, I guess would be the word. (coughs) Yesterday, (coughs) maybe I shouldn't say the story. Yesterday, I decided, hey, I want to go for a long bike ride. So I started off. I'm like, man, this isn't bad. By like minute 45, I thought to myself, why in the world am I doing this? And by the end of it, I went, I went for an hour on a bicycle. And I thought, that went nowhere. That, that ought to tell me a lot. Like, who rides a stationary bike for, for an hour? My friends were all making fun of me. They're like, great work going nowhere for an hour. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But by the end of it, I was utterly exhausted. 
Like I thought, I don't know if I can pedal one more time. And then this morning I got up out of bed and I thought, I might not be able to stand up straight. But that's what Paul is talking about. When it comes to presenting people mature in Christ. Like he was exhausted. Because every ounce of energy went to presenting the gospel to people and to present them holy and blameless and mature in Christ. But look at the promise he says to us in the end. He said, for this I toil and I struggle. But look at two key words in the passage. With all of what? My energy? Your energy? He says, no, with all of his energy and with his powerful works within me. You see, we can only present people in Christ more mature, exhausted, because we're not doing it on our own strength. We're doing it on him who gives us strength. And so for us this morning, I would ask this question. Are we rejoicing in our suffering as we serve one another, knowing that we are stewards of this mystery, which is Christ in us? And are we proclaiming that gospel message in an exhausting way, being dependent on his power? And on his works that he has prepared for us. Paul could confidently say, back to where we started, follow me. I follow Christ. Because Christ is working in me to do what only he can accomplish. May we trust and obey him in that. Let us pray this morning. God, I pray that our response would all of us in this room, we would be servants of the gospel. And we, like Paul, would rejoice in our suffering and we'd serve this body faithfully. We'd be reminded this morning that you have called us to be stewards of this great gift, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we'd be reminded that this body is not just simply a body but the temple that Christ you dwell in today and so God if there's anything in these temples our bodies that would prevent us from fully seeing believing and experiencing you Christ in us the hope of glory if anything is in the way of that I pray for a heart of repentance God, I pray if there's anyone in this building this morning that they're just now realizing that Christ is not in them, that you would draw them to yourself in this moment. That what was remained a mystery for generations, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would reveal to them now, Christ 
can be in them the hope of glory. So a place of belief and repentance. But God, for us in the room again, if there's things in our life that we must repent of, uh, I pray this would be the morning that we would cry out to you in repentance. And then God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be servants of the gospel that would proclaim the truth through warning, through teaching, so that we could present people mature in you, that we would be disciple makers. That's what you've called us, not convert makers, but disciple makers. And I pray that you would let us toil and struggle to a place of exhaustion, though, as we've run a race and can go no further. But I pray that we would then see it's your energy and it's your power that works within us. So lead us and guide us this morning in all that. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You are kind to us. So continue to lead us and guide us. I pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, I'll be up front. Just come down. I'd love to share the gospel with you, what it means that Christ Jesus did come and die a sinless life on your behalf, that you could accept him as your Lord and Savior this morning. If you're here this morning and you do not know, you do know Christ and there's things in your life that you must repent of, the altar is open, find me. I'd love to pray over you. Find one of the deacons. We'd love to pray over you this morning. Let's go to the Lord with this last part of worship. Would you guys stand this morning? So now and see there is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Rest you in his wondrous deeds. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus satisfied. joy here complete 
Find your hope now in Jesus. He is all he said he would be. Grace is overflowing from the Savior's hands. Rest here in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Grace and peace to you, and happy Mother's Day. <laughs>